Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world in historical fiction and medieval-inspired fantasy. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah F. Decker, and I'm doing this podcast because I'm a medieval historian, and because when I teach, I see firsthand how medieval media affects students' perceptions of the Middle Ages. And today I have with me two guests. So first of all, welcome back to Dawn. Hi, Dawn. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining me. And uh, I also have with me today for the first time, Ileana. Welcome, Ileana. Hey, Sarah. Hi, Dawn. And today we are talking about the 1973 version of Robin Hood, which is the Disney animated feature film. So first of all, why did you guys want to talk particularly about this movie? Because it's the greatest Disney movie ever made. I mean, that's just my personal opinion, but... <laughs> Ever made. So, uh, I'm a little older than both of you, and my parents uh, were early adopters to cable network television, and we actually had the Disney Channel when I was about three. Wow. And this was one of the first movies they showed on it. And it was the first VHS that Disney ever released. I do remember hearing that, yeah. I was a peak demographic. This is something that my mom can put on forever. And she liked it because it was about Robin Hood. And I liked it because it was about cute animals and Robin Hood. And then, you know, I got a little older and I was like, oh, this, this, this fox is kind of hot. (laughs) <laughs> and like that's a little weird <laughs> uh what are these feelings <laughs> but yeah so pretty much my first crush which apparently if you google that on the internet it's pretty common phenomenon for uh women yeah under 40 and probably boys under 40 as well and other people that identify differently i didn't get exposed to it that young but i definitely remember watching it when i was like seven or eight or something like that i honestly don't remember exactly when i saw it but i do remember really liking the fox and like (laughs) really wanting to watch it just for robin hood and he was like my favorite and when my brother wanted to be robin hood we we were like really close in age i'm only two years older than my brother so we would watch that movie a lot and he wanted to be robin hood for halloween and he's like and you can be made marion and i was like i'm not gonna be made (laughs) marion i want to be robin hood (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we fought over that costume for a little bit but my mom even made him arrows and got him a toy bow and i was very upset about that because i was like i would like a toy bow with seriously arrows. you should get a toy bow i mean uh but i did get to wear that costume <laughs> uh the next year <laughs> even though i was older and really it should have been my privilege first <laughs> clearly you also liked it first so well yeah but that being said, we we watched that movie enough that we asked for Halloween costumes of it. Like, and in my house, that meant like a whole hand sewn, handmade, like props and costumes. So we were pretty uh we were pretty committed to this movie. <laughs> That's awesome, though. I yeah, appreciate that. I think I probably would have been if I wouldn't have been blindsided by the Care Bears. 
That's fair. I actually have much significantly fewer memories of this movie. Like, I vaguely remember seeing it as a kid, but I don't know. I was really much more of, like, an Aladdin and Lion King and Little Mermaid person. That's because you were an intellectual who wasn't allowed to watch television when you were under 10. That was probably (laughs) it, yes. (laughs) I was allowed to watch specifically those movies. There's a small subset of movies I was allowed to watch. (laughs) And honestly, like, it's another weird thing, too, just with the technology piece, because I feel like... If you didn't have access to the Disney Channel, you had to have a VCR um, and either right. have access to rent it or purchase it, which the original sticker price was absurdly high when it first came out. Yeah, it was like $80. It was like $80 because, I mean, VHS tapes were so expensive. Like, it yeah. was really, really just a ton of money you wouldn't expect considering how much a VCR was already like 400 at that time. I was definitely discouraged from like freeform TV watching. And so mostly stuff that I watched was stuff that we had on VHS. And I remember that also being the time where it was actually a huge pain to get Disney movies on VHS. Like at any given time, they weren't all necessarily actually available. Yeah. So like Disney had this whole like thing from 1984 to 2004. And I'm sure Eliana can speak to this because she probably knows more about it. (laughs) But like basically they would release something and it would go back into the vault and it was never released again. And it just kind of varied on the period of time they decided. So like, Robin Hood was the first one they ever released. And it was also probably available the longest of all the films. I think it was almost like 10 or 11 years. So basically from 84 to 94, it was readily available like for the consumer, either to rent or own. And when you think about that wide period of time, it would make sense that anybody that was born from the late 70s to the early 90s would have potentially seen this. Right. Because it was one of the most over, like I don't want to say it was overly produced, but it was the most readily available Disney film at the home viewing level because Disney basically said it was like such a middle of the road movie that they were willing to release it whereas they didn't want to release their classics. Yeah, right. And but yeah, I don't think I actually own this, although I did own the Aristocat. You like cats? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which fun fact? Uh, the Aristocrats, the, the Aristocats, came out uh, before it's this. Really movie. hard to not do that. I get it. It really. Is. <laughs> it is. Also, my um, phone keeps auto-correcting every time for various reasons. I've written Aristocats. It's like, do you mean the Aristocrats? No, no, I do not, phone. Exactly. Well, the, yeah, so the, Arista- the Aristocats came out before this movie, and they barely made back their budget. And so when Robin Hood was being discussed, um, they actually had to fight for more funding for this movie because Disney as a larger company was kind of like, uh, you guys aren't really making us the money that we need you to be making. And Disney Animation Studios chimed back like, well, you can't really have Disney without Disney Animation, so you can't scrap us from the company. (laughs) And so they decided to work with what they had. They kind of had a budget, but it was like barely what they had for the Aristocats. And um, because Sword in the Stone, which came before the Aristocats, didn't do as well as they liked. They were kind of on thin ice. So they were really hoping that this one was going to be super successful. And how successful was Which, it? I mean, it was it was more successful than, than the Aristocats, but I think it was name recognition more than anything. Like, people know the name Robin Hood, and yeah. so they were more likely to see it. And I think it also benefited from being more closely related to the Errol Flynn Robin Hood movies. Right. Than actually being a, any sort of 
historical <laughs> or not like right at all similar <laughs> to any of the novels about that Eliana like how I did like, I did read of that reading anything like historical they just watch like Errol Flynn movies and I'm like I kind of love it though no that checks out to why my mom also loved the movie though because like my mom probably still would make out with Errol Flynn yeah, although that article was also a little bizarre because, uh, and I'll probably touch on this throughout, but I mean, so the Robin Hood legend is, of course, you know, not contemporary with the period in which it supposedly takes place, um, but it is medieval. It's 14th century in terms of the first versions, but the versions that that specific article mentioned, like, why didn't they read this, are like 19th century versions, and it's yes. like, honestly, that's not that much better. No, it isn't. And he said, like, oh, why didn't they read Ivanhoe? And I was like, uh, not sure you did your research there, buddy. Right, like, Ivanhoe is just as much a modern interpretation of the Robin Hood legend as the Errol Flynn movies, like. And the whole thing also seems like it was a bit haphazard in some ways, because apparently initially they wanted this to be a movie about Reynard the Fox, and then decided that he was, like, not sufficiently child-friendly. Which, yeah, anybody who watches The Magicians knows, not a good idea. Yeah, uh, Raynard Fox is a trickster in generally the much less charming roguish sense and more the just terrible sense. Yep. And yeah, and uh, The Magicians, which is, you know, has a modern uh, interpretation on Raynard, that's very much the kind of thing that you see. So uh, yeah, maybe not making a children's movie based on that was a good call. Yeah, they talked about interpreting when they were deciding whether or not to go with... Uh, the Fox movie or not, it did end up being a Fox movie. They just called the Fox Robin Hood. But they were also talking about maybe adapting um, Chanticleer. Mm. Um, and that's kind of where you get that rooster from. They kind of kept the rooster, yeah. but threw away the Chanticleer part, like any of the story that had anything to do with Chanticleer. Right, and instead you just have like the random rooster narrator. Yep. Um, who yep. is supposed to be uh, Alan Adale, who is a 17th century addition to the Robin Hood mythology. In terms of crushing on the fox, I also had a crush on the rooster. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Johnny Cash did say that uh, Roger Miller was the only person that was even close to his octaves. Hmm. Wow. And that kind of checks out when you hear him talk. Yeah. That takes us into talking a little about the cast of the movies. So, yeah, Alan Adale is played by Roger Miller, who, yeah, as far as I could tell, just looking on Wikipedia, is really best known as, like, a country singer and not as much as an actor. Yeah, he did more of, like, variety shows, if anything. Yeah. Yeah, so we have him as Alan Adale. Uh, Robin Hood is Brian Bedford, who, did he just die? He died in 2016. He has the second most Tonys ever. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. For a man. So I'm going to let you guys maybe take the lead on talking about things you know about specific actors, because as previously discussed, I did not watch a lot of TV or media as a youth, so I have not heard of most of these people. So yeah, Maid Marian is Monica Evans, who the only thing I have previously encountered her in is that she is a talking goose in the Aristocats. Nope, that checks out. That's all I know about her, too. I was very proud of myself with Little John because he is Bill Harris is the actor. And I am very proud to say that I immediately recognize that he also plays a talking bear as Baloo in the Jungle Book. So, Eliana, did you happen to check if the dancing sequence that he has towards the end of the movie is a reused Yes, it absolutely is. Because I, I was like, I know that yeah. dance. No, no, no. But... It's actually, there's, there's a couple of times where they reuse footage from the Jungle Book specifically. And we can talk about that a little bit more later, later on. 
But yes, you're absolutely right. And then you had Prince John as, well, he was played by Peter Ustinov as well as King Richard. I thought that was great that they had the same Right, they had the same guy playing both lions. And like he's had a very large career. He seems to be very important. I have not seen or heard him in a single other thing. Have you ever seen Spartacus? I actually have not. Okay, he won an Academy Award for that. Okay. (laughs) He's in a 1977 movie about Jesus and plays Herod. That's (laughs) exciting. Another another king role for him. And the sheriff of Nottingham, uh, Pat Boltram, he was in Green Acres, and I know my grandparents liked him. He was also in both the Aristocats and the Fox and the Hound, and the Fox and the Hound, and was playing Daw, and was is like playing something related to a dog in all three of those movies, yeah. which I find entertaining as, like, weird yeah. typecasting. Yeah, it's very strange. And then Sir Hiss, he ended up having kind of a shorter career, but he was in uh, It's a Mad, Mad, Mad World. Right. And Wikipedia, when I was looking him up, actually mentioned that this is at the phase of his career where so he had Parkinson's, and because of that, ended up, like, having a period where he basically started moving into voice acting because that was easier for him to do while suffering from, Parkinson, mm-hmm. from Parkinson's. Yeah. This is also the time period as you're looking at all of the voice actors for this film. This is also the time period where they um, actually took a lot of people from theater background, like had them do a lot of the voices just because they knew how to do things with their voices, which is actually was less important for television because there was a lot more sound editing in television obviously, than there is in theater. And the transition to using big name actors was mostly like came after Robin Williams, really. They weren't really used as often or as like peppered throughout the movies. Yeah, this is kind of like the middle period of it because originally a lot of these things were just voice actors and then they started realizing, oh, theater people would be good. And then they're like, oh, people that have famous voices would be really good. Briar Huck was played by Andrew Devine, who, if you're a little bit older and you saw this movie when it first came out and your parents were excited, this might be one of the people that they knew the name of because he was the sidekick for 10 films. Wow. He was probably one of the bigger film names that was in this in terms of having constant mainstream notoriety. And then Sexton, we should know, and I caught it today when I was listing, it's Piglet. That's why I recognize him. And he, I guess, basically played Piglet until he died. Aww. Um, That was his big other thing. So I was pretty impressed. I was like, so Wikipedia had an animal count. (laughs) So of the main cast, there's two red foxes, a bear, two lion, a wolf, a snake, a rooster, a badger, a chicken, two vultures, four rabbits that have names, turtle, dog, two mice, and a crocodile. That's Hmm. pretty great. I appreciate actually that I think pretty much all of the animals... I think are all animals that would have been known to people in medieval Europe. That makes sense. So before we get into the nitty gritty of the movie, I did have a question for Eliana since I know she did a ton of research too. Did you happen to come across anything about the reason why they had a lot of these actors available is because they were originally going to do a Western cartoon? Yes, that is absolutely true. So they were, before they decided to have it take place in Great Britain, and like where the original Robin Hood story takes place, they were going to do a Western because they thought that that was going to be more appealing to American audiences. But then ultimately the director, who is Wolfgang Reitherman, whose nickname was Wooly, which I find Aww. amazing. <laughs> so Wolfgang Reitherman, if I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. I apologize if I am. Uh, he pushed to have it take place in Great Britain because he thought it would work better for the story. 
which I think having Robin Hood take place in the Wild West would have dramatically changed the tone of this movie, and I don't think there are red foxes in the Wild West. So. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would have been really weird to have, like, Robin Hood, but in the Wild Wild West. It would have. I don't Absolutely. know. That seems Absolutely. very bizarre. I um, wouldn't put it past that it's sitting on someone's desk. Just remember yeah. that we did have space cowboys. True. We, we, did. We, we did. We did. And having seen recent renditions of Robin Hood, I really honestly, you know, would put pretty much nothing past them. So. So Brian Bedford, I will say, I hope that when he, I hope when he knew he would die, that he was okay with his legacy would go down. <laughs> Most of the obituaries are just like Brian, Brian Bedford, you know, star of, you know, Disney's Robin Hood, sexy fox voice man. And I'm just <laughs> like, this guy won seven Tonys and had a really impressive <laughs> Broadway career. Like, I appreciate you're leaning into this a little bit, Jezebel, but come on. Like, <laughs> right, yeah, that he's, like, very, like, that he probably would not necessarily want to be remembered mostly as, like, oh, yeah, the sexy fox man. <laughs> But come on, though, that voice, that voice, it was so good. Yeah, and, like, I, I'm curious because I'm sure, like, his husband or, like, his estate wrote his obituary before he died. Right. So I, I did actually look at his actual obituary. I kind of want to look at it now and be like, did his, like, husband as a send-off was, like, sexy fox man. <laughs> Husband's <laughs> like, yeah, I had a crush on that fox. I mean, <laughs> think about it, like... It's a real win-win for that dude. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So now let's move on into our next uh, section, or our first kind of official section, which is the enumeratio section, where we will be kind of going through a recap of the movie. So we are introduced by Alan Adale, who's acting as a kind of minstrel figure, who goes on on how long ago Richard departed on his great crusade, and in his uh, absence, John, his greedy and treacherous brother, usurped the crown. Then there's like an entire page of story that we just like skip over, because you can actually like see like a manuscript and it's just like okay this page is an important so now we're just going to move on to the part that's about robin hood i do have to say though i really appreciate it since i haven't really probably watched this since i was like 12 i forgot how cute the title cards are yeah, yeah. really cute like where they're like and this is his the snake <laughs> i know are they like they label everyone's animals it's so nice they used to do a lot more like intro to a movie where you actually like got to know the characters before you actually got started which I thought was like super sweet. Yeah, and I think but... it's especially nice for this where they're characters that presumably of like much of the audience is familiar with them like from Robin Hood legend. And so, you know, introducing them, then you kind of know who you're seeing when they're being played as various animals, I think is a nice touch. Yeah, absolutely. So our first kind of real scene is then Robin and Little John, who are basically having a chat about the ethics of their life choices. <laughs> I love that they open the movie with that. That's like incredible to me that there's I know. like this is a movie about Robin Hood, and we're going to start talking about whether or not we're the good guys or the bad guys. But it's a very short conversation. And Robin's like, oh, everything's fine. And then they like have a caper and it moves on. This, by the way, also, I'm just going to go ahead and mention it. This is going to pop up throughout. This movie is a really weird combination of, on the one hand, like, yeah, we rob the rich to give to the poor, and it has this kind of anti-capitalist undertone. But on the other hand, is also very anti-government taxation. Yeah. Which seems but, like a weird combo. So I'm not rebutting the fact that they don't like taxes, but I think it's more so that they don't want to be taxed to the degree that they are because they're poor. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. It just like seems like a very like the government is out to get us with taxes, which like, I don't know, in the 1970s and also today is like a narrative, like a very specific kind of narrative that it seemed like was popping up. So I just felt like it was more like, no, like we're basically we're eating stale bread crumbs. Right. Yeah. And not that there wasn't an exploitative taxation system, although less exploitative than it's presented as being here. Right. So we then meet Prince John and his snake henchman, Sir Hiss, and learn that John has a lot of feelings of inadequacy surrounding his brother and the fact that, you know, his brother is like the guy who's the king that everyone respects. His crown is literally too big for him. He like keeps trying to put it on and make it work and it keeps kind of like falling down and Sir Hiss kind of was like, oh, you look so regal. And then he's like, no, not so much. So like Sir Hiss is like a paid friend, right? Like, he's somebody who's clearly getting paid to hang out with him, right? (laughs) Yeah, or, like, at the very least, like, it's, like, this is how he, like, has, yeah, power as well, is through John. Even if he's not literally being paid to be his friend, it's, like, he's friends with him because he's the ruler and not because he likes him. I kind of always saw him as, like, in terms of actual court positions, like, the royal secretary, in terms of, like, how close he was with the king. Right. Or oh, yeah. the prince, that's, rather. That's kind of how I always saw him. But can we can we just mention real quickly uh, how King Richard has this like super full, luscious lion's mane, and Prince John just like really has no mane whatsoever, and is very, very feminine because of that. Like, yes. like not just the way that he's acting and his gestures, but also like literally drawn not like a male lion. (laughs) Yeah, which is a really interesting choice to essentially effeminize him as a way to indicate his weakness. Yes. That is very true. I think as a child, I just always thought that he was like young. But now as an adult, I definitely noticed that on my third full watch, I guess, or second and third full watch. But what I also thought was really interesting is I kind of felt like he by proxy was also just kind of the fuck up of the family yeah right yeah yeah like he's the one that like accidentally found the keys to the car (laughs) yeah (laughs) right yeah and that's definitely part of it and he's also like made very clear that like his their mother liked richard better and that he has a lot of like deep set mommy issues related to that including that he keeps like sucking his thumb every time his mother comes up and I, it's super weird that, like, I mean, I under, I kind of understand in terms of, like, streamlining the plot while, why she is not an actual character in the movie, but it's super weird that he keeps calling out for his mother and there's, like, no actual, like, resolution to I that. I figured she was like, just also away on the <laughs> crusades. <laughs> That's fair, yeah. So I actually note the reality of this, like, and, you know, I was going to mention it later, but like the, I'll talk more about it in more detail later, but the short version is that she was very much around and a real person and also much more competent and power and like interesting than her son, than actually probably either of her sons, to be honest. So I'm really sad that she wasn't in the movie because I like her a lot. Yeah. And yeah, it would have made a lot of sense for her to be there, both plot wise and historical reality wise. Yeah. John also claims that like he's responsible for sending Richard on crusade, which is really interesting. Yeah, I don't know how that would have worked mm-hmm. out. Yeah. And also at some point yells at Sir Hiss like I told you never to mention my brother's name, which I'm pretty sure they stole that line or a variant on it for the Lion King. 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, which also, like, is very similar in, like, the powerful, like, traditional-looking lion versus, like, they don't do quite the same thing with the mane, but, like, the much, like, scrawnier lion as the villain. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. So John and Hiss set off on a tour of the kingdom and then quickly have their first run-in with Robin and Little John. Um, So basically they see the royal coach and decide to rob it. There's some interesting gender stuff happening in this scene too, because uh, Robin and little John dress up as these like lady fortune tellers. And Sir Hiss is like, no, they could be bandits. And then John's like, female bandits, what next? (laughs) (laughs) I remember that. Yes, that was really weird. I will say all that aside, I really appreciate the use of the boobs. Right, their boobs are yes. very practical. And the butt, too, to be honest. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, obviously, even if Little John maybe isn't going to get with Lady Cluck later, he's definitely felt some ladies. Yeah. <laughs> he has a general understanding of anatomy. Oh, yeah, those boobs are actually better than a lot of the boobs you see in medieval paintings, so. And also most cartoons. <laughs> They were, like, widely separated enough that, like, they didn't look like fake boobs. Of course, it's also the, like, weird thing that happens in Disney movies where, like, just animals have boobs. Yeah, which is kind of strange, but yes. Like, especially because Lady Cluck does, too. And it's, like, there's no way for, like, like, a chicken with headdress. You're right. Yeah, so we have a kind of farcical scene where they, like, literally steal the rings off off John's fingers and they steal all of his gold. And (laughs) then he has these, like, solid gold hubcaps that they also steal. Yeah. Which is not a good use of metal. I'm just going to point that out. Oh, no, definitely not. And definitely is not something that they would have done, obviously. And yeah, and in what will be a kind of recurring theme, Sir Hiss is very distrustful of these people and wants John to watch out. And John is like, basically tells him to stop being dumb and like locks him in a basket. There's also like a weird thing that happens. I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but doesn't he also get tied into a knot as well at some point? Yeah, I can't remember exactly when that was, but there's, like, a lot of scenes of uh, John just deciding to kind of punish Hiss for actually having quite good insights onto things, because Hiss pretty much always turns out to be right. Yep. But he never listens. So was there, like, they make a quip, I did not look this up, because I figured I would use your expertise, potentially, Eliana also looked it up, I was trying to pick and choose how much crap I was going to be annoying about. He makes a comment that there's a law against, like, robbing royalty. I mean, there's a law against robbery. Right. Just in general. He indicates that. And I'm like, was that a thing? Like, was that an extra bad crime? I mean, there's certain extra crimes that are, like, things that count as robbing royalty. So, for example, if you, you say, hunted in the royal forest, then that counts as robbing royalty. And that's a consider, and that's, like, a particular crime that a lot of people actually under King John's reign, I believe, were prosecuted for. But there is not really this, like, extra thing for robbing royalty. You just can't rob people in general. (laughs) I mean, I just, I mean, I know you can't rob people, generally speaking, but... The fact that they called it out, I was like, did they learn something actually to make this movie? No, I don't I don't believe so, no. I think they really just are using that as a way to kind of emphasize John being obnoxious. So John obviously is embarrassed. He puts a big bounty on their heads, which is, by the way, presented as this very Western looking wanted poster. Yep. More of that Western film slipping in there. Yep. 
uh, and uh, heavily increases taxes in Nottingham. And I actually love uh, Alan Dale's <laughs> lines, which is, what with taxes and all, the poor folks of Nottingham were starving to death. Uh, apologies for my half-assed Southern accent. Yeah, you should not do that again. No, I probably shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I love you a lot. I love you both a lot. I just, I, I generally shouldn't do accents. It's fine. But I don't think it works for you, no. Yeah, I could do accents in foreign languages, but not in English. Yes, I can do accents in foreign languages too. Like, I could do a Spanish accent and, like, like all of the different particular, like, Colombian Spanish, Mexican Spanish, like, Castilian Spanish. Like, I can do, like, those accents really kind of okay. But in English, I just have no no recourse but to uh, stick to, like, really bad intonations that, like, are not correct at all. <laughs> I can probably do a Southern draw pretty well now, but I can't do it on command. It's, like, got to be in the moment. I once tried to do a British accent, and my British friend started cracking up at me and told me I sounded like a crazy person. Wow. So we basically see the sheriff of Nottingham going around and extortion and extorting taxes from various people. So there's an injured dog and he shakes coins out of the cast of the injured dog. There's the rabbit child, Skippy, who receives as a present uh, one farthing in a box, which to be fair is a really weird present. When you're poor, that might be the most exciting thing, though. I mean, I guess, but it just like looks so weird. And honestly, like they would have been better off knowing the sheriff of Nottingham to have like bought him something. True. But what can you buy when there's nothing to sell because nobody can even make anything because they can't buy supplies? It's a full circle of poverty. Right. I don't know. Carrots. And then the sheriff comes in and steals his farthing. Oh. And Robin Hood comes in and is disguised as a beggar and gives the family some money as well as uh, gives Skippy a little bow, which is very charming, and then hands over his hat to Skippy as well. <laughs> Like, I mean, I just want to bring up, though, like, why does everyone stand in doorways with their little bags of gold? <laughs> just stop doing that. Right. Like, people should just actually be better about that. <laughs> like, just put it in your your boobs or, like, your butt. Like, learn something from the streets. Right. Well, the cast actually seemed like a pretty good idea, but that didn't work out. So yes! maybe it's good yes! that they tried to hide them in their boobs or we would have had some, like, upsetting sexual harassment in this children's movie. That's true. I mean, we did have <laughs> a little bit, though, actually. Yeah. <laughs> but, Ileana, so did you, did you, when you watched it as an adult, have that moment where you're like, I really wanted to be that one, but I'm really like that one? <laughs> Because I am pretty much certain that I'm Toby the Turtle after watching it. <laughs> I'm like Toby the Turtle with a little bit of dash of tag along, the little annoying baby bunny. <laughs> but I grew up to be Lady Clock. <laughs> so it's a really confusing transformation over here. <laughs> I mean, I felt like my sisters thought I was tag along, like the, the, a little annoying baby bunny, which, which had. Let me tell you, she had, she, he, it was actually like kind of gender. Yeah, I don't know what tag along is. Tag along, tag along. Non-binary tag along. Had some of the best expressions. I know. They just did some great facial animation work on that child because there were just some moments where I was like, that child's sassy. Oh, yeah. (laughs) When she, when when tag along's like, come on my birthday. And I'm like, that was me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I was like, hello. Please pay attention to me. It is my day. Uh, yep. I also like that there's the one bunny girl. It goes, he's so handsome, just like his reward posters. 
then it's like, oh, you're the kid who's going to grow up to be on Love After Lockup. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) I just also want to mention real quick, like, out of all of them, she seemed to have, like, the most non-period costume. The Thirsty Bunny? Yeah. The Thirsty Bunny, yeah. With her bow and her little, like, petticoat and her, her, her dress. Also, I haven't looked that up, this up, but I feel like at that age, a lot of medieval children's clothing is kind of not as specified by gender as it is now. Yeah, it was just like, here's a sack, enjoy yourself. Right. Yeah, pretty much. Find a string. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> so we then have uh, all of the kids are playing with the bow and arrow, and in, I guess, the medieval version of you're hitting your baseball into your neighbor's backyard. <laughs> They accidentally shoot, shoot an arrow. <laughs> yeah, but the neighbor is, I guess it's John's, one of John's palaces. But the person who is actually there is Marion, who as a fox is apparently the niece of lions. Yeah, that was a little weird. Maybe it was a land contract. <laughs> <laughs> it could have been. Let's hope. Let's hope that's what that was. Right. <laughs> so the kids do some pretty amazing things here. Yes. First of all, though, before we get to the kids, I do want to bring up, there's a part where Lady Cluck says something and then Maid Marion's like, my girdle's killing me. Right. And it felt like the most amazing but weirdly out of place line in the movie. (laughs) 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 To be honest, until you mentioned it, I had completely forgotten about that line. Because I was just like, wait, it was what, like, why are we so talking weird. about this? Like, I mean, fine, I get it. I don't like underwires either, but like... But that does also, pass the Bechdel I, test. And these kids have zero fucking filter in the scene. Oh, no. So these kids who you'd think would be like somewhat smart as they're wandering in just immediately basically go into like, let's badmouth King John. And then they all play a game where Skippy's Robin Hood and has to rescue Marion from Lady Cluck, who's doing like a pretty solid Prince John impression. Which is incredible, not just on behalf of the animation, but also the voice actress, because she just got that spot on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like, good job. So the child yelling death to tyrants is super cute. Yep. Marion then, like, is like, oh, now that you've rescued, you have to, like, give me a kiss. And is kind of, like, awkwardly hitting on the bunny child. And kind of, like, being a little handsy. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's like, all right, we know you're into Robin Hood, but this isn't Robin Hood. This is a like seven-year-old rabbit. Like you didn't bone down when you were in like New York. I mean, not New York. Where were th- where was she? England. England. Yes. So then they have that weird scene in her chamber where she's got the outlaw poster. So we get another outlaw poster of Robin. Yeah. And then. This is where she kind of admits that she still has feelings for him, right? Oh, yeah. This is when she's yeah. like, uh, we never kissed, but... Which I'm like, right? Wink. Right. And Lady Clock <laughs> is like, oh, I bet he's still into you. Like, this is a real long con there, guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's that long courtship from the medieval ages. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. Like, you clearly, like, kissed his kids one time. It's fine. <laughs> when you were, like, 13 or whatever. Like, come on. We all know. So uh, we then find out that Robin, too, still has feelings for his childhood friend, Marion. And uh, Friar Tuck visits Robin and Little John and tells him that Prince John is hosting a tournament and that the winner will be rewarded with a kiss from Marion. So he's real into that. Oh, yeah. He's just waiting a long time. Yeah. He's been waiting like 20 years to get that kiss. (laughs) How long do foxes live? Not that long. Um... (laughs) 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 I just want to say that, like, I do like how the fact 
that making them animals kind of you can kind of determine like who's older than who like who are the younger ones and who are like the middle-aged ones and who are the older ones but you don't really have like any clear definition of age, which I thought was kind of fun. Right. Yeah, it's kind of nice. So then we move to the tournament where Robin, disguised as a stork, participates and is competing primarily, it seems, against the Sheriff of Nottingham. And little John, meanwhile, passes himself off as the Duke of Chutney and goes to (laughs) chat with King John. I'm sorry, that just never ceases to make me laugh. (laughs) It's great. When they're doing the lineup, though, I like how the sad dog's dragging his bow. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's very cute. And then I also like when Hiss is up there with Prince and they're sitting there and like Hiss actually breaks the wall and looks at the camera in disbelief that John is, that he's making him do something. Or not John, I'm sorry. Why can't I remember his name? Prince John. It's that they're both John. Oh, it is. Yeah, sorry. I'm getting confused then. Anyways, there's just a part where like he looks, I think it's when he dismisses him for Chutney and like looks at the camera in a very Zach Morris way and is just like, really? <laughs> But yeah, Hiss is so fun in this scene because then he also, after he's sent away, uh, uses a balloon, like, and ties a balloon around his head to go and, like, search out the fair and try to keep an eye for an eye out for Robin Hood. And the, like, flying snake with the balloon is really delightful. And little, the little tails of the color. It's my favorite gifts. Yeah. yeah. He also then, uh, I think, is it Friar Tuck who then finds him and grabs him? Or is it Little John? I thought it was Friar Tuck, but now I'm not sure. Okay. Friar Tuck shoots him with an arrow, pops the balloon. That's and right. And shove him in the wine barrel. Yes, or ale barrel specifically, because I'm going to talk about that later. Sorry. <laughs> so shoves him in a barrel okay. of ale as Hiss yells, I don't drink. <laughs> He's so straight edge. I know, right? Hiss the straight edge snake. I also found it really delightful in this scene that at some point uh, John says, like, coup d'etat to borrow a Norman phrase. And I was like, oh, that's <laughs> funny because they're French. <laughs> it's such like a niche joke, though. I know, but I was really entertained about it. I mean, it's kind of silly because, I mean, Richard actually probably spoke better French than he did English, and John very possibly too, but Richard yeah. almost definitely. But I, I was really entertained by the fact that they were like, let's have a nod to the fact that they, like, run Normandy. <laughs> oh, man. I also love that, like, as part of Little John's costume, pretending to be the Duke of Chutney, his clothes don't really fit him all that well, and it's almost like this kind of call out to how like a testament to your wealth was that you were kind of on the overweight side yeah it's like you could afford Mm -hmm. that much food to get to that point so i thought that was kind of yeah interesting Mm -hmm. yeah definitely kind of sold the whole the whole disguise a little bit more yeah absolutely so robin wins the tournament but meanwhile john has managed to guess his identity basically because he's a person winning the tournament and uh, is about to have him executed marion begs for mercy and john you know, basically tells her to fuck off. But then it turns out that little John has stuck behind him and has a sword to his back, at which point he changes his mind very quickly. So, yeah, two points. He is really good at shooting because he did that on stilts, and I was like, dang, you know? Like, right, that must be hard. Yeah. And he has a mask over his face, basically. Like, I yep. took archery in college because that was a something I could do with my time. and you know i wasn't bad but i definitely wouldn't be able to do that we then have a a big fight breaks out between robin hood and the villagers on the one hand and john and his men on the others uh, on the other hand so there's a lot of running back and forth and elephants and rhinos getting stuck in tents 
and then Lady Cluck has her like football montage, which to me is like clearly whoever decided to make a Knight's Tale watch this movie. Right. It's yes. exactly that kind of deliberate anachronism for fun that she has, that she's like running around, like clearly like to a football fight song. It's like an actual football fight song. I can't remember whose though. I just wanted to say that this is also the, one of the scenes where you actually get some of that redrawn footage. They use some Ooh. of the footage from the Jungle Book. Oh. In this. The elephants specifically. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, now. cool. Yeah. So this is kind of like where you start to see that redrawn footage. Cool. Also, Drunk Snake is the best snake. I love the drunk snake. Yeah, so the drunk snake is amazing. He kind of comes up out of the barrel and to like runs over to John. He's like, it's Robin Hood, the stork. Did you know? <laughs> and I think that might be when Rob, when John like ties him in a knot. <laughs> so Ileana, so they reused a lot of the cells because of cost. Was there any other reason to do it? Actually, it wasn't because of cost. It was actually more expensive. Huh. It was cheaper to make new animation than it was to reuse the old animation. The person in charge of this movie, good old Wooly, Wolfgang Reitherman, <laughs> it was just kind of like one of the things that he insisted on. Like, well, we're going to use this footage for this scene. We're going to use this very specific series of, of cells. We're going to reuse them. And it wasn't necessarily just a matter of tracing. Like, they had to completely redraw everything. Just so what really they were using was like, they were using it as a right. source material. They, they were essentially doing rotoscoping where you're taking something like a, a series of movements and you're tra you're tracing over them but you're also drawing new context to it they they used it a lot for the old classic disney movies like the dance scenes and the scenes where there's like lots of like hand holding and people are like in contact with each other to make it look a little bit more believable and so wolfgang reitherman thought those scenes were really successful and that they were very well, essentially, like, he just thought they worked really well. Why not just use them again? That way we know it's a sure thing. Instead of taking a chance on some new animation of that sequence that doesn't work as well. Uh, honestly, there isn't a lot of information about this because there aren't a lot of interviews with Wolfgang Reitherman. All of this information I got from animators that worked under him. When did he die? To be honest with you, I didn't grab that information. I don't know why I didn't, but he was in charge of he was in charge of a lot of those movies in that era, like The Aristocrats, The Aristocats, <laughs> Sword in the Stone, Jungle Book, kind of like all of those movies around that time. Yeah. But now I'm gonna look up when he passed away. Let's see. Uh, actually, in 1985. Yeah. So he's one of Disney's nine old men, the like the the nine old men of imagination. Yeah, so there was a bunch of articles that came out because there was a video that came out on YouTube that was really popular and like blew up all over the internet. And a lot of news outlets kind of reported that that was the reason, mm -hmm. but didn't do any research to back up that reason. Right. It turns out there was a couple of animators out there that were like, that doesn't sound right. And they actually went and talked to old Disney animators and got the real story. Hmm. It turns out that it was just this particular director that was very particular about the scenes that they were going to be using for certain sequences. So uh, Robin and Marion reunite and fall in love and go off to Sherwood Forest. They have this song which includes the lyrics, Now You're All Grown Up Inside of Me, which honestly, it took me a long time to figure out what a <laughs> non-dirty interpretation of that was. To be honest, I'm still waiting to hear that because I, I don't. I'm struggling here. 
like I assume it's the way of thinking about you in my mind is now you yeah. as grown up because we've reunited. But I feel like I'm yeah, reading the song so. more than halfway on that in terms of what <laughs> is the most natural interpretation. Yeah. Like, well more than halfway. I mean, it's a hot mess, so yeah. Yeah, Lady Cluck definitely acts like she wants to fuck that bear. Yep, absolutely. So. I mean, she needs to get some. She's earned it. Oh, yeah, no, she... like, I actually totally wanted them to get together. I was like, I don't care if they, like, decide to have, like, a chicken fuck a bear in this children's movie. Like, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then they also make up a comedic costal song about King John, which John eventually hears, um, not only because all of the townspeople are singing it, but because it's so catchy that even Sir Hiss and the Sheriff of Nottingham are singing it as well. Well, clearly at this point, Sir Hiss is giving up. <laughs> like, he knows yeah. his time is... He's like, I'm, I just need to go over to the good side now because they have a lot more fun and they drink. Yeah, he, yeah, the drinking is really what, like, tips him over. Maybe this is just Sir Hiss is, like... Maybe he didn't drink because he was he was an addict and now Sir Hiss is, like, tipped into just being drunk constantly. Because <laughs> I feel like otherwise he would have been smart enough to not think it was a good idea to sing that song next door to King John. Yeah, I think he's like, I see this ship sailing. That <laughs> crusade's going to be over soon. I'll figure it out. I need a little John myself here, but... Yep. I like John's line, squeeze every last drop out of these insolent musical peasants. <laughs> feels It feels very disney like disney funny we have more scenes of the sheriff collecting taxes yep. including he takes fair tuck's soul coin that he has managed to uh, get from the sextant had saved it up and then gives it to the friar to give to the poor and uh, then of course the sheriff of nottingham comes in and immediately takes it and then friar tuck actually complains uh, and is then arrested for treason i also want to just point out in the scene with the sextant and the farthing it's it's bigger than he is. He's a little it mouse. It is. It's so cute. It, it, but it's so piglet, right? It is. Yeah. It, is. it absolutely yeah. is. It's very sweet. And like his little wife. <laughs> it's just uh, that yeah. whole scene. I don't know. There's just something about it that I'm just like, this is really depressing right now. <laughs> I know. They're very charming and sad. Yeah. I just kind of want to hug them. We you know. I have a weird thing for, like, tiny creatures in animated movies. Like, I'm always rooting for, like, gnomes and elves and <laughs> mice people and... I think I have the opposite, and I have a thing for very large anthropomorphic creatures. Like, nothing makes me sob as much, apparently, as, like, Vin Diesel playing some not large non-human being. I mean, I do, too, <laughs> in, in regards of, like, the emotional heartstrings part, but there's just something about... My childhood is very aligned with, like, mice mm -hmm. and rabbits hmm. i get that so john now that he knows he has fire tuck orders him to be hanged so that he can trap robin hood sir hiss is very unimpressed with the idea of john having another trap and plan because they didn't work out very well before robin and little john you know sneak in seem to immediately basically figure out the plot manage to sneak out all of the prisoners and also most of john's gold and is uh, basically almost and uh, you know pretty much escapes uh, he has a kind of he ends up having kind of a dramatic chase scene because i guess he has to go back right because yeah. one of the rat they like drop one of the rabbit kids yes they did yeah so he goes oh. back and saves the rabbit child yeah that is adorable. Also, too, like, when the little raccoons have those tiny little, like... Yes! Yeah. Oh. Raccoons, I guess, are the one, I think, animal that would not have been known in medieval Europe to anyone. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Wasn't there some sort of comment about them being, like, little bandits, too? 
I think there I think there might have been, but I'm not 100% sure. It would not shock me. Yeah. Oh, I haven't even gotten to the part about like the clothespins and the the clothesline, but go ahead. <laughs> oh, like the pulley system? Any, I know, it's, it's so impressive. I'm so there for it. Yes, yes. Yeah, so Robin sets up this whole very complicated, yeah. like, makeshift yeah. pulley system to get all of the gold out of John's bedroom. And it's another it's scene. Totally not accurate to the era, but <laughs> looks so cool with, like, little clothespins, and he's just, like, putting them down in each of the little bags, little gold bags. I know. It's great. It's very cute. I also really love the puppet show yes. before they go to, yep. like, break everybody out. There's something just very wholesome about being, like, I'm a snake yep. and I'm a sock. Yeah. Yes, that's the, yeah, right, that's the puppet show that they do while they're first uh, coming up with the song, right? Yes. It's very cute. Yeah, we have more, like, so Robin eventually escapes. The castle is set on fire. Sir Hiss, I think, has to yell, uh, look what you've done to your mother's castle, at which point John starts sucking his thumb because of the repeated mommy issues from before, despite the complete absence of his mother. And then just skip forward to Alan Adele just announcing... Well, Richard showed up and fixed everything. This is where I think the budgeting issues came in. What other Robin Hood movie did that happen in, though? That's kind of also like a weird... A lot of them, I feel like, end with a kind of deus ex machina kind of Richard just showing up. And then that solves all of the problems. Okay. I can't think offhand of another one I've seen where it just kind of does that skip forward like that. I feel like there's some other Robin Hood movie I can't replace right now. The other thing, though, is why are they panicking at 4 a.m.? That's what the clock chimed at, like 4 a.m., right? Like, what were they worried about? The rooster? Like, Oh, right. (laughs) And then also, like, how Smutley would be sleeping with that amount of money? Right. That seems very uncomfortable because he literally is using, like, bags of gold as pillows, which seems awful. Yeah, and why is that not in the royal treasury? Right, it would be so much safer in an actual treasury with guards as opposed to under his pillow. Yep. Richard shows up and by fixing everything, that apparently means that he puts uh, John the Sheriff and Sir Hiss into a forced labor camp. Yeah, that's awkward too. Which was so weird. I do really like the sign next to it uh, that says Royal Rock Pile as they're like, basically that seems to be what they are laboring at is putting rocks in a pile. And as predicted, really enjoys the kind of dad joke it seems i have an outlaw for an in-law because robin and marion are married now and so he's his nephew-in-law or something it's just so weird it's so freaking weird i do love her dress yeah though. her dress is really cute i like their little just married carriage i don't know why i like it so much and he like wears like a fancy fancy clothes i also find it really adorable that skippy is basically like well like i have a bow i'll have to take over now and he's like, because, yeah, like, they're going to have kids. So I really like the implication that Robin <laughs> is just going to be, like, a really committed dad and therefore isn't going to have time to be an outlaw. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so that was kind yep. of delightful. Speaking of some of the redrawn animation for this movie, a lot of it happens in the Sherwood Forest scene where they're coming up with a song for, for Prince John. They take from Jungle Book. They take from Snow White. They take from... The Aristocats, they take from a little bit from, there's a couple more movies of it, but like really like quick snippets of dance motions that they trace over. Uh, specifically when Little John, right? Mm-hmm. Little John? Yeah. Little John is dancing with uh, Lady Cluck. That whole scene is traced over, or that's a redrawn from 
Baloo's dancing scene with King Louis in the Jungle Okay, Book. that's where I was definitely like, this looks so familiar. Like, And that also makes sense that like dancing animals are a thing that they have done before. And if they like the way they did it previously, that they would adjust it. Yes, exactly. So there's a, also the scene, so a lot of like Maid Marian's dancing is Snow White. Yeah. And fun fact, the re- redrawn animation of Maid Marian over Snow White was done by Don Bluth when he was still with Walt Disney. All right. So now that we have completed our recap, we're going to move on to our next section, which we call Vera et Falso, where we talk about what they got right and what they got wrong. The second part usually being longer. (laughs) So in terms of what they got right, just a couple of uh, quick notes on that front. So the opening imagery definitely is hearkening back to medieval marginalia in some ways, uh, not necessarily the visual style, but basically at least that there are a lot of animals holding instruments and things like that in medieval marginalia. So it's kind of akin to that. This is a weird thing, but one of my jokes that I often make about a lot of medieval films and uh, fantasy as well is that if it was accurate to the real medieval world, it would just be like everyone named John. And I appreciate, despite the confusion that we had throughout this podcast about that, that it actually does not shy from the fact that it has two major characters both named John. Because they were not, they did not have very diverse naming practices in the Middle Ages. There were like 10 names per gender. So there are a lot of people who have the same names. And every now and then you actually get people complaining about that in historical fiction books that they're like, this book is dumb. They named too many people Anne. It's like, that's because they were all real people who were named Anne. Right. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And uh, something else is that, uh, so Hiss is thrown in a barrel that says ale. And uh, the distinction historically between ale and beer is that beer would have hops and ale would not. And at this point in England, they would have pretty much only had ale and not beer. So I appreciated that tiny cool. little bit of accuracy. That, that's uh, Even cool. if it is not necessarily deliberate. <laughs> as opposed to that ale sounds more medieval. Yeah, that's pretty great. They, I would say, have a kind of bits here and there of things they got right, but also a lot that was not quite right in terms of uh, Richard and John and as well their relationship with their sadly absent mother, Eleanor. So Richard did, in fact, spend a lot of his reign away on crusade. But I just want to note they keep talking about how great the crusade is. This is a crusade that A, was pretty much unsuccessful because they wanted to reconquer Jerusalem and didn't. B, at some point involved Richard just massacring 2,000 Muslim prisoners who had surrendered. Jesus. Fantastic. Because uh, Saladin, uh, who he was fighting, was taking too long to agree to his terms and negotiations. And also that the reason Richard was away so long was not actually entirely because of crusade, but because he ended up getting held captive by the Holy Roman Emperor for like a couple of years. So not actually crusading and doing, you know, like that brave thing, but just kind yes, of like about half of somewhere. his absence was related to actual crusading, and the other half of his absence was just being in a tower. I mean, which he wanted to leave, obviously, but he was not on crusade yeah. for a lot of that. 
John, and is in fact, was fairly unpopular and uh, was not <laughs> always super great. So uh, Richard pretty much never trusted his brother and so decided not to name him as regent and instead left political power in the hands of a few other people. And then basically they actually tried to keep John out of England. Their mother intervened and, just, and thought that was a little extreme. But although she normally had a pretty good strategic mind, she seems to have been actually kind of wrong on that one. Because as soon as he came back, John set up his own alternative court and tried to portray himself as an alternative to the regents and the likely next king. Uh, because Richard did not have children. And uh, John then eventually ends up basically allying with the King of France. And the two of them, in fact, paid off the Holy Roman Emperor to keep Richard in prison even longer than he already was being held in prison. Oh my god. Sounds like a soap opera. Yeah, it basically is a soap opera. Oh, this family is totally a soap opera, because uh, if you go back even further, before their father, Henry II, died... All of them at some point rebelled against him with their mother's support. And because of that, their mother was held in a tower, was held captive in a tower for the like 20 years or something like that. Oh my God. What do you even do at that point? Like, (sighs) yeah. So John basically tried to mount a rebellion, but nobody liked him. And so he wasn't really that successful. And uh, then Richard did come back. However, Richard did not send him to a forced labor camp because you would not really do that to your brother as European royalty and instead basically forgave him with the only real penalty being that he took away most of his lands with the exception of Ireland, which he got to keep. Yeah, that's nice. Just all of Ireland. Just just Ireland, which actually their father had conquered for John because all of the other boys had miscellaneous territories that they were expecting to get. And he's like, oh, but John doesn't have anything. Uh, So, and he was nicknamed John Lackland. And so then he conquered Ireland for him. I see. Oh, isn't that sweet? Yeah, right? John was his father's favorite, but it is true that Richard was his mother's favorite and that his mother did not like him. Uh, Is this Eleanor of Aquitaine for any? Yes. A- yeah, so this is Eleanor of Aquitaine, um, who is like my favorite okay. person ever, pretty much, as it's probably being hinted at. <laughs> yeah, so I'm really mad that she was not in this movie, because I feel like her yelling at John would be really entertainingly comedic. They ran out of boxes oh, yeah. or something. I, I know, right? I guess she would have been a lioness. She would have been a lioness. <laughs> it could have explained something if she was a fox. <laughs> <laughs> True. The women are foxes and the men are lions. That's how it works in this family, apparently. I do want to note, however, that John should not be entirely blamed for the rise in taxes during Richard's reign, because a lot of that is actually because, first of all, they raised taxes for the crusade, and second is because they also raised taxes to pay Richard's ransom. So the people who were responsible for raising taxes was actually the other faction of Richard's uh, kind of regency council and his mother, who were basically trying to get money for that. Got it. And I think John was kind of sometimes also as this alternative court trying to get money. And so it was like an extra problem that some people were being kind of double taxed. But basically the problem was that crusades are expensive and also paying a king's ransom is expensive. Yeah. However, John is known for having hiked up taxes during his own reign, where he also continued to be unpopular. And there's a little line in the song that says something like, too late to be known as John the first, he'll be known as John the worst. And he's not known as John the first because there's no John the second. There has never since been a king of England named John. 
Oh, wow. Like, there still has not been one, and based on the names of the current royal children, will not be one for another generation or so, at least. And it is because, you know, he turned out to not be super popular. I mean, you know, he ultimately is the king who basically got his barons to all rise up in rebellion, which is what resulted in him signing the Magna Carta. That's, oh, wow. Yeah, so he is not a great king. But he does, I think, get slightly a bad rap in this movie. So not that I'm a big defender oh, yeah, of, him, of him, but uh, he shouldn't get quite as much insult. Yeah. Another thing also that I want to mention that bothers me in general about Robin Hood movies is that if you're complaining about taxation in particular during this period, I find it irritating personally as somebody who does Jewish history that no one would then mentions the Jews because the Jews are the people who are being even more kind of disproportionately heavily taxed because they feel like they can get away with it, because the Jews basically are kind of reliant on the king's support to remain in the country. So so basically they are the ones like really being very heavily taxed, probably arguably more so proportionately than the peasantry. See, now I'm just thinking of that Rachel Bloom short that she made that was animated that was like accurate fairy tale. Oh, I've seen that. I'll have to watch that. With the little, the Jews coming out of the forest. (laughs) And they were actually, like, drawn as, like, little dwarves. Aww. And it was coding. just, like... That's great. So wrong. <laughs> so wrong. That's really funny. And she was just, like... Uh, the, the Just the, the commentary in that video as a whole just, just reminds me of what you're talking about. It's just, like, it's so fucking awful. <laughs> <laughs> it's still fucking awful. Don't get me yeah. wrong. It's always been fucking awful. But... Yeah, so... This specific thing is awful yeah so like maybe it's for the best honestly given disney's track record with some things that they didn't have like some Mm -hmm. probably poorly chosen animal that got jewish coded that was also being like like suffering from taxation like i feel like that actually probably wouldn't have ended up being better but i do yeah Yeah. feel the need to comment on how i feel like robin hood films in general should acknowledge the fact that jews are being definitely very heavily taxed other uh kind of mild uh, issues in terms of things that are not quite right. Friar Tuck gets presented as a Franciscan friar, despite the fact that Franciscan friars did not exist as an order as of yet. Yeah, that seemed a little off. It's like off by a few years, and they certainly wouldn't have been in England at this point. Or maybe, I think maybe they'd just been named as an order, but did not exist in England. But when they portray Friar Tuck in other... That is actually consistent across adaptations. They're just all wrong. Oh, okay. I was just curious. I think it's because it's a look that pop culture identifies with that role. So therefore, it's the standard instead of the correct, (laughs) if that makes sense. Right. And also, I will say, I mean, the 14th and 15th century, when these legends arose, like those people did not necessarily care about historical accuracy either. And so they also thought of Franciscans in a particular way and as perhaps the most likely candidate to be a person of the church who was on the same side as Robin Hood because they're the people who are kind of concerned with the poor. So it kind of makes sense why in the legend that happened. Um, It just is not quite right. He also, however, could not legally be executed by the king because all churchmen have the right to appeal to be judged exclusively by an ecclesiastical court. Fancy. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. 
And finally, you would not actually go to jail for non-payment of taxes because jail isn't really used in that way as, like, jail isn't really used for storing people long-term as a penalty. Yeah, wouldn't you just be murdered? I mean, there's like a... (laughs) For certain crimes, you'd be executed or basically they would take everything you owned and then after that, like, what's the point of doing anything else? Right. If they keep you in a jail after that, then they just have to feed you. I mean, they're better off, honestly, if they just take all of your stuff and then and then like send you off to starve. Yeah. So there's really no benefit to keeping people in prison. I have feelings about that and we don't have the time. So yeah, I mean, not not saying that that's a good system, but just like that's the case is that, you know, if you couldn't pay your taxes, they would just seize whatever you had. And then that would be that. Yeah. So I think those are the kind of main things that I wanted to note that they got right or wrong. The next section is uh, the section I call Historia et Veritas, uh, where I talk about a real medieval thing. And for this, I wanted to actually look up, because we have all of these animals, I wanted to look up medieval bestiaries. So first of all, I'll post some pictures in, uh, in, the, in the Facebook group, because a lot of them are super fun. <laughs> but uh, just That's wanted wild. to kind of note that, first of all, the idea of having kind of people displayed, uh, presented as animals... And that implying something about the character is actually a pretty medieval idea. So there's an English theologian, Thomas of Chobham, who wrote, The Lord created different creatures with different natures, not only for the sustenance of men, so that they could eat them, but also for their instruction, so that through the same creatures we may contemplate not only what may be useful to us in the body, but also what may be useful to us in the soul. So in other words, the point of having a bestiary wasn't just like encyclopedic facts about animals. It was also to essentially uh, talk about the kind of moral lessons that you could learn from various animals. So basically, foxes are typically presented as tricksters, but not really in a cute way, more in a they're basically the devil way and are trying to catch and entrap Christians. (laughs) And in biblical exegesis also tend to be associated with heretics. Uh, There's this line in the Song of Songs that talks about the foxes, the little foxes in the vineyard. And that tends to be interpreted as, you know, the heretics trying to destroy the body of the church. (laughs) Bears have a little less kind of specific moral meaning, but just fun fact, it was believed that bear cubs were born blind and also shapeless and then were licked into shape by their mothers. What? Man, I wish somebody would have licked me into a different shape. (laughs) If only you'd been a bear. Lions typically are very well liked, uh, basically because, you know, the idea of the lion as the king of beasts is a pretty old one. It actually goes back to Aesop's fables, which is 6th century BCE. And basically, you don't want to annoy kings. So if something's the king of of beasts, you should probably present them as being deserving of that title. Very fair. The lion and the way the lion is talked about tends to be a lot more Jesus-y. <laughs> is that why Leos are so cocky? No. Because they're Jesus? Sorry. I'm just here for the comedic relief. <laughs> because they're Jesus or because they're kings? Both. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> My mom's a Leo. I'm just saying. <laughs> But yes, there's all this like random stuff about how like lions sleep with their eyes open. And that's like how Jesus was physically dead after he was crucified, but then brought back to life, which I understand is kind of a stretch. Wolves do tend to be thought of as uh, basically kind of evil and cunning and violent. And also, you know, metaphorically, you know, preying on sheep who are metaphorically Christians. So uh, the sheriff of Nottingham is actually kind of on target. Yeah. But however, they also believed randomly, this is just another fun fact, that if you saw a wolf first, then it couldn't attack you. 
But if it saw you first, you would lose your voice. What? So they didn't want to make him. That, that is amazing. I'm sorry. I was sidetracked with my brain. Uh, they didn't really want to make him a wolf, though, originally. Oh, really? What did they want him to be? I didn't write it down. Yeah, they wanted him to be something that was like, because of the person who was in charge of production basically said, no, wolves are sinister. That's why he's going to be a wolf. And somebody's like, but I wanted him to be this. Hmm. And I guess it was like a hot day in the office for that conversation <laughs> because it was obviously brought up enough that it's been documented. Huh. Yeah, that'd be interesting to hear what he was in it, or what uh, he was also alternatively going to be. But yeah, because the wolf, I feel like, is one of the more spot on. I guess lions are kind of right as well, because like Richard is basically what a lion is supposed to be, and John's just like a failed lion. <laughs> He's the lion that didn't get licked. Yeah, <laughs> I think they they also had a licking thing actually. <laughs> Mom screwed up. And finally, uh, snakes are presented as being dangerous and cunning, uh, more successfully so than poor Sir Hiss. And also, uh, medieval authors likened the snake shedding its skin to people shedding their old selves when they come to Jesus, and also thought that a snake would run away from a naked man. <laughs> Same. <Okay>. What? <laughs> Badgers, by the way, are basically just described as dirty beasts that bite. And in the first century, Pliny the Elder also claimed that badgers protected themselves from attack by inflating and distending their skin. So basically that they're like puffer fish. Same. So I guess he should have tried that one. (laughs) (laughs) So essentially what we've learned is that animals definitely had a kind of moral meaning, which uh, they, you know, kind of sometimes have something similar in this movie, but not always. uh, And also that medieval people were often wrong about animals. Uh, I actually did find what it was supposed to be before they decided. Uh, Stupid goat. Oh, a stupid goat. Oh, Yes, is it was dropped by the director who wanted Ken Anderson to keep the villain stereo- um since wolves are more stereotypically evil in that fiction than yeah. goats who are nonetheless associated in some cultures with dark magic and demons. Coincidentally, <laughs> in that case, the three villains would have been the three animals that made up the Greek monster Chimera, a lion, a snake, and a goat. Oh, that would have been really cool. But, you know, I would have thought just based on how he acts, a donkey would have been better. Really? You think mm, so? Because he's kind of bumbling. I don't know. I could see maybe a goat. he's kind of, I mean, like, he's, he's, he's kind of, like, you know, people kind of associate donkeys with being lazy but useful. Yeah. He's not really trying hard. True. Yeah. So, like, to me, whereas goats are just kind of obstinate <laughs> assholes, stereotypically That's speaking. True. Right. Yeah. No, he's not really that goat-like. No, he's not. So uh, I guess we should go ahead and move on to our next section as we're coming to a close, which is uh, the Fabula Nostra section, where we talk about what perhaps alternative movie we would do inspired by this. So for me, it really is just that, like, I think this could be fun if Disney decided to do their, like, live action slash CGI remake of this movie. Like, maybe it would be terrible, but maybe it could be fun. No. I don't know. No. 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 I, I <laughs> hard disagree. I'm going to let you do your thing, but hard disagree. <laughs> That's fine. You can you can do your thing in a second. My main comment on that note really is that if they do that, I want them to bring Eleanor back in because she should be there. Yes. And also, I guess that like clearly John Goodman should oh, have played yeah. Little John. Absolutely. 
I, I was actually thinking like Andy Samberg could be fun casting for Robin, although that would lose the Britishness. But I feel like he has this like kind of like playfulness that would come out in interesting. No, ways. no, I, I, I totally see Andy Samberg and I totally get your reasoning behind it. But I was like, you know, Tom Holland. Oh, yeah. See, I would think Oscar Isaac. Oh, good. Yes. So I, in my version, wanted to cast Oscar Isaac as Prince John because Oscar Isaac as John is literally the only good part of the 2010 Uh, Robin Hood with Russell Crowe, which I hate. Also, my Lady Clock would be Maya Rudolph. Oh, I like that. I was thinking like it would be fun to have her as a, I put I put her down for Meryl Streep because I think it would be fun to just like out of nowhere have this like insane like (laughs) nominated actress just playing this like chicken lady. I mean, that's completely fair. (laughs) Also, like if we're going to just go off the wall, can I have Sir Hiss be like Johnny Ware? Yeah, sure. (laughs) I wanted Ralph Fiennes to do Sir Hiss because I, <laughs> so I, I watched In Bruges recently and I feel like Ralph Fiennes in that does this no, good, like, good menacing, but like, kind of, fuck, but like, kind of sometimes a fuck up, I guess. I just want to see Sir Hiss, like, vote. Yeah. And I feel like Johnny Ware would be able to do that in a contemporary Yeah, no, that would be fun. But also kind of probably fall down. That's, yeah. That's totally fair. Yeah. I also have decided that in putting Eleanor back in this movie, I would want her to be played by Diana Rigg, basically just because I am still obsessed with Diana Rigg's performance as uh, Lady Olena in Game of Thrones. I'd want some sassafras. I am one of the few people who did not think that we needed a live action remake in that weird CGI version of Dumbo. I'm also a very small portion who did it. CGI version of The Lion King. Are you though? Because like I probably will never watch them personally. Like neither will I. Those just don't work for me yeah. personally. Like I mean, Dumbo is Dumbo. Yeah. I feel kind of mad about them. I might watch the Lion King one just because I am excited about the casting. Yeah. Yeah, like I don't want to like ignore the casting opportunities that could be very good. Yeah. With live action, but the thing is, is like even when I, I mean, I haven't, I haven't seen any of these personally and you know Aladdin's out still and one of my really good friends actually went and saw it and actually said you know especially with having a kid it worked you know well it like introduced like a new way to like introduce something that has aged a little bit to a younger person whatever but like I just don't it doesn't there's something about it that still looks weird. Yeah, the ones that end up being all CGI, I feel like are not going to hold up. Like, it's not that it's bad or anything. It's just that it looks disjointed. Yes. There is a lot of skill that goes into turning people and animals into cartoons and that you cannot achieve with a CGI, especially CGI and achieving the impossible, which, like, having animals talk uh so in that context i cannot imagine a robin hood version of this movie where the characters are all realistic looking bears and foxes and hens and rabbits because i think that that would just lose the charm yes they're animals but i just think like it yes they're animals but they're not i feel like in my head they'd kind of look like fantastic mr fox that that could work here's the thing if they were going, this is this is where the disjointed part happens for me. Like the beast part with like Beauty and the Beast, I don't fully get it, and I have a lot of issues with that story. Yeah, yes. but I kind of see why you would have the CGI and human. Yeah, 
Yeah. But when it's just 100% animal, it gets really fucking weird to me. Yeah. No, I kind of agree about that one that I feel like they're just not that necessary. I mean, yeah, that like I just don't see the point because it has to be basically all CGI. Or like the other end with the genie part in Aladdin. Like, I'm not trying to be a bitch when I say this, but it just seems weird. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's coated lighter still. And I'm like, didn't we already go through this in 1992? Right. Yeah, the thing also is that animation from 40 years ago, like, because it's a really great example of what it is, it holds up really well almost by definition, whereas CGI from, like, five years ago often looks like shit because we just now do a better version of it. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest problem to me. Yeah, so I feel like it's like, okay, like, the ones I've seen, I guess I've seen Beauty and the Beast and Jungle Book, it's like, Okay, they're fun, but like mm-hmm. I think it's very unlikely yeah. that I would go back and rewatch those. I'd much rather watch the original. Even old animation still looks clean. Yeah, exactly. And like old CGI, as I said, I mean, you know, yeah, I even have seen things from like five, you know, from yeah, five, ten years ago, which just look like crap now. Like I if I were gonna do new kind of my own version of this movie, I would definitely absolutely do a stop motion animation. And I would do it in a very particular style. Like I wouldn't do it in necessarily so we don't have a lot of examples of stop motion animation currently we have studio Leica, and we have Mm -hmm. the studio that makes wallace and gromit uh ardman studios Mm -hmm. and apart from that we really don't have a lot i mean i could see stop like wes anderson does stop stop motion but it's like mostly like one-off he doesn't have like a studio that does it like he gets a team of people for that movie and that's it they disband after after their i could be wrong He's done it twice, right? Yeah, like, I think he, like, hires people specifically to make, you know, Isle of Dogs and Fantastic Mr. Fox. But I think, like, something like stop-motion animation where you're yeah. trying to achieve a certain look. Because the almost like the, the way that Kubo and the Two Strings had a very specific stylistic look to it that's different from anything else that came yeah. before. Mm-hmm. I would definitely have fun with that and almost do, a, like, a tongue-in-cheek... Yes, it's this old Robin Hood story, but modernize it almost like the way that they do like you mentioned in some discussions that we had before we did this podcast how this movie felt like a proto knight's tale yeah and i feel like i would lean in real hard on that yeah this like, i mean my can version. you just imagine like how they could use the music for all yeah. of the like hype up scenes yeah yes absolutely and i would definitely do like something like have that minstrel narrator character like keep that Keep the rooster. Yeah. The rooster's great. Oh, yeah. I mean, honestly, the rooster is what kind of draws you in at the beginning. Like, I mean, the tarot yeah. cards are great. But, like, as a kid, like, oh, this, like, kids like songs. Kids like music. Kids like things that, like, chime and, and ding. And, and this is why kids' toys are annoying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, like, kids' toys and dog toys. No, it's true, though. And, like, here's this film. Like, and we all watched this when we were all under 10 years old. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, here's a film where we all have a connection on it because it obviously, despite the fact that it's been kind of, like, consider- considered, like, middling, yeah. you know, in terms of, like, Disney canon. Which they're wrong. More... No, same. <laughs> but I have way more stock in this than, like, Sleeping Beauty. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Sleeping Beauty. I can't even Beauty. fucking tell you what happens in Sleeping Beauty. The bitch is falls asleep. the whole time. <laughs> the dude has no interesting things about him. Yeah, I mean, Sleeping Beauty is terrible. There's three three scenes that are, like, any kind of interesting. And the fact that they're like, we don't want to release <laughs> Sleeping Beauty because it's a box office hit. 
but like Robin Hood probably won't do well, so we'll put it on VHS. And I'm just like, you guys like made the best worst decision, like right. worst, best decision, I guess. Because I mean, even beyond the charming aspect of him and like how we joke about how he like he's like the fox you want to fuck, there's something that's just inherently charming about the fact that this person cares about humanity enough to just do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. The lines are quippy enough that you appreciate them, even though they're not like the best writing in the world. Yeah. The animation is good enough that, especially like with the 4K restoration that I have, and you you watched the same one, Eliana. Like, it's pretty. Yes, I did. It's beautiful. Like, it's pretty. Like, I mean, they did a really nice treatment on it. And. Yeah, and I do actually, like, I love how colorful this movie is. Like, that makes me really happy because I have, like, a thing where it really irritates me about how movies that take place in the Middle Ages, they often make, like, aggressively gray. Yeah. Like my soul. Yeah, exactly. It's this visual, like, this was the Dark Ages, guys. They had dyes. Yes, they they had color. And, like, if you look at medieval art, medieval art is very brightly colored. And that's even just talking about paintings that people think of medieval sculpture as basically, like, white. It wasn't. It was all Mm -hmm. painted completely polychromed. The paint is just worn off or on most of it. Yeah, yeah. So, like, medieval art was very colorful. Uh, Medieval clothing, especially worn by the wealthy, was very colorful. So I have, it makes me very irritated that just everything is, like, gray. And also, like, the countryside in Ireland and Scotland and England was always green, even in the Middle Ages. Yeah. They had color back then. All right, so at this point, it's time to move on to our last proper segment, which is the estimatio, or rating section. Um, where we talk about how we would rate this movie on a scale from one to five. So I'm going to go first because I imagine I'm going to be the one who's going to be like a little bit of a downer because I feel a personal deep obligation (laughs) to have my rating based at least somewhat significantly on historical accuracy. (laughs) And uh, I feel like for me where this movie really falls down is that I think it could have done a lot better with drawing on historical reality for how it deals with uh, the royal family, because that is, you know, real history. You know, there are interesting things they could do. I think they could have stuck closer to that reality without sacrificing plot and that that would have been fun. And that's the kind of big thing for me. So I'm going to give it a three out of five, which often ends up being basically the score that a movie gets for <laughs> I like it, but it's pretty inaccurate. So what about you guys? It's going to come as a shock to no one that this movie is a five out of I think this movie's great. <laughs> I mean, I understand it's inaccurate. I understand it has its flaws, <laughs> but it just is so charming up really nicely. It's got these characters that you just like keep thinking about been like etched in my brain into my adult life i mean yeah like crush heavily on and don't know what to do with those feelings because it's like this is a not a real person (laughs) why do i have these feelings for this very fake thing yeah so yes a part of that is deeply coming from a place of nostalgia and nostalgia but it's also coming from like there's like some really good choices that they made I understand people are going to argue, like, there are better Disney movies. I'm like, yes. But this is the one I multiple times and not get annoyed by the songs and not get annoyed by, like, jokes that don't age well. Like, there's just something about this movie that, like... So, you said 3 of 5. You said 5 of 5. I'm probably at 4 of 5 just because I 
respect the fact that it's completely historically just <laughs> fucking fucked up. I wish I know this is unbelievable. I'm about to say this because I'm like probably gonna hate myself for it later. I wish it was a tad bit longer, mm. like 15 minutes. Not right, quite. It's two not hours. long. It's about. It's about 90 minutes? It's, 90, it's like yeah. 92 minutes. Yeah. Just so there could have been a little bit more, like, lady clock in her. Yeah. I also wish there was, like, an actual, like, scene where, like, something happened and then Richard came back. Yes. As opposed to just, like, well, everything's fixed now. And that was that was my other point. That as well. And I kind of wish there would have been a slight bit of backstory between how little John and Robin Hood became friends. Yeah. Yes. As a, a child, I wouldn't give a shit about any of those things. <laughs> but as an adult, I'm just being completely honest. Like, child me, five out of five. Adult me, four out of five. It's still probably top three to five Disney movies for yeah. me. I mean, like, if I ever have a child, this will be, like, headcanon for them <laughs> in terms of, like, what they watch. Like, it'll be like, no, I don't. Yeah, I'm going to be like, hey, child I don't know what you're going to like when you're an adult, but you're going to find this fox fucking foxy. No, seriously, though. I mean, I just, I feel like there's something wholesome about it that's not cheesy. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's a very nice movie in a lot of ways. It's pleasing. Yeah. It's something you can have on. You can enjoy it. It makes you feel good. The songs aren't overdone. The characters aren't. I feel like today in a lot of modern cartoon-focused films, there's always, like, that annoying character. Yeah. And, like, the annoying character here, I mean, they're annoying, but they're, like, kind of just, like, everyone knows they're annoying. Right. But I feel like, also, it doesn't need to be the level of annoying I think it gets to is, like, Prince John and Sir Hiss. And you're just kind of like, they're dumb. Yeah. And I honestly don't hate Sir Hiss that much. Yeah, I don't either. I, I used to hate him more as a kid. I love Sir Hiss as a character, honestly. Like, I think like, he's, a like, kid, a I solid villain as an adult, I'm just like, you know, like, you're doing you, dude. Like, you're you're trying to be scheming. You're sucking <laughs> a little bit, but... Yeah, like, I actually really like him as a henchman, which is, like, a genre of character, or, like, a genre of character, I guess, in Disney films. Like, the semi-competent henchman. Yeah. Um, and like I and feel I, like, like he's a perfectly how, like, good example of it. You know those like chaotic neutral, like lawful neutral, whatever. Yeah. Like he's actually kind of in the middle. <laughs> yeah. Perfectly, like on the Disney wiki. Uh huh. Like the like the fandom one, they don't know where to put him. Huh. Because he starts out evil, and then he's just like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they're just like, so he's just in the middle. He's kind of like Iago. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Is there any place in particular that people can find you on the internet? I am not interesting, but Ileana is. So. Oh my goodness, Don, that's a lie. You're very interesting. Uh, you got. You can find me on Instagram, Pangolina. That's the animal pangolin, but more animal themes. Yeah, that's pretty much the main main spot to find me. Um, if you want to check out my artwork, I have a Behance profile, but that's more for like professional stuff. If you want to hire me, just like. Good fan art for the right price. Don, do you have anything you want to promote or? I am not interesting, so you can move on. You are very interesting, but. Not in the internet world, but. No, that's not true. Not true. You hug that you like to share pictures of. And of course, if you want to follow this podcast, we are on Twitter at Media Evil Pod. We have a Facebook group. We are, of course, available on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts and uh, I believe pretty much all of your preferred podcatcher apps. We would really appreciate if you enjoyed this episode, uh, leave us a 
good review on iTunes slash Apple Podcasts. And if you have any questions or feedback, please uh, send an email at media.evilpod, M-E-D-I-A dot E-V-A-L-P-O-D at gmail.com. And also, if you're interested in just me talking slash posting pictures of uh, my animals, some of whom you might have heard this <laughs> evening uh, on this podcast episode, <laughs> um, you can find me at Sarah Ifdecker. Thank you to Don and Ileana for joining me. And uh, thank you all for listening to Media Evil. Thank you.